Life is one grand sweet song. So start the music. Ronald Reagan. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Renaissance Life, a podcast dedicated to excellence, mastery, and a life of meaning and worth. I am your podcaster in crime, Josh Wagner. Uh, It is currently 9 p.m. in the p.m., and I am exhausted. Something's up with my mic, too. It feels very... I don't know, very hefty and, and and crackly, but not in a like, I'm an old man who has a very deep voice and I, and I talk like this and I, and I do Dos Equis commercials. No, it's the very, the, the bad crackly kind. So, um, I'm probably going to have to get a new mic. Uh, uh, so, so, uh, audio files out there if if it sounds like I'm in a conch shell I am in a conch shell but the, also my audio is bad so my name is Josh Wagner and I am your podcaster in crime like I said you can follow me on Twitter at Renaissance Man Life or Ren Man Life at R-E-N-M-A-N-L-I-F-E if you do not know how to spell life L-I-F-E uh, I'm getting sassy sassy tonight uh <laughs> <laughs> and also on Instagram at renaissance.life. That's usually my main shtick and go-to, so definitely follow me on Instagram. Um, so this is another interview episode. I feel like I'm getting better at these as I go along. So far, I've only done in-person interviews and hope to be doing Skype calls soon. Um but you know, with this with this podcast, I'm going to be experimenting a lot and trying different things. I don't want it just to be another interview show. That's another interview show, like all the other interview shows out there. I want it to be really um, valuable and hit different areas and avenues that uh, you don't normally hear on podcasts. So today's episode is with Stratton Tingle from Soundcore. Soundcore is a local music company that's helping to build Chattanooga, which is where I and Stratton are based, uh, to build Chattanooga's music industry into something huge and worthwhile. Not only does Soundcore help with the, the honing of the craft side of things, but also focuses on the business side of things of actually becoming a musician in trade and and making a, a living with it. And so, without further ado, here is my conversation with Stratton. Plot twist! This is an ad. Support for The Renaissance Life is, as always, brought to you by you guys. If you'd like to support The Renaissance, go to patreon.com slash lifemastery. Whoa, that's a different URL from last time. Yes, I am pivoting on Patreon. To be honest, I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be when I first started it. And you can see that with the amount of subscribers that I got, because I didn't get I didn't get very many subscribers. 
But I have a new direction in mind for Patreon. So patreon.com slash life mastery. There you will see a few tiers starting at the low end of five, 10, $15 a month, going all the way up to, uh, uh, to the high end of, of uh, different, different tiers, apprenticeship to mastery level. Um, but essentially what you get is an exclusive podcast entitled Life Mastery, practical how-to tips on how to become a master at what you do, whatever that is for you. And that's the thing. It's going to be a podcast that is influenced by the patrons that subscribe to it. That's right. On certain tiers, you'll be able to actually become to come on the show and we'll have a Life Mastery coaching, coaching ses- session blah, 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 session, and we will discuss what you are into, what you're trying to pursue, and how we as a community can help you. So, patreon.com slash life mastery. Check out all the info there. Um, but this is an episode uh, conversational style with Stratton Tinkle of Soundcore here in Chattanooga where I am based and Stratton is based. Soundcore is a music organization uh, dedicated to helping grow the music community here in Chattanooga, making it thrive and become vibrant, and helping musicians on a personal level to, uh, you know, make money and being an artist and doing the business side of things, which is easy to ignore. And I'm actually in Craft Masters, which is one of the classes that Soundcore has. Um, I signed up for it recently, so I'm excited about that. Uh, but definitely check out Soundcore and Stratton Tingle, and I hope you enjoy this interview. It's uh, it's a fun one. <laughs> uh, there's lots of fun stories that he tells us in his trips on his trips to Africa and so on. But uh, I hope you enjoy Stratton and my conversation. Thank you. What was the uh, what was the last movie you saw? Despite being a film production major, I uh, I'm a re- I was probably the worst world's worst film production major because I really don't watch movies that much. I work too much. I think it w- I probably saw a movie on a plane going to coming back from Japan, and I think it was it was on China Air. China Air, nice. Yeah, Those are fun. <laughs> yeah. That is the. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going for an endorsement deal from China Air, I guess. But that was <laughs> the worst airplane food I've ever. It, it was. It was inedible. What I. I mean, the flight was the right price though. So like, if I would just known to bring food, it would have been much better. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what. Honestly, I don't remember what movie it was, or if I even really watched a movie. Oh yeah. Well, I. I did see. Uh, no, I. I did see a movie in preparation for Japan that was a documentary on the fish market, Tsukiji fish, fish market. Oh, uh, do you remember the title? I think it's called Tsukiji Fish Market. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very original title. I have no idea what that is, so that's oh, fine. I haven't yeah. been to Japan. I, I've been wanting to go. I recommend it. I had the opportunity to go, and um, uh, it actually, you know, Japan was not on my top list of places to go, um, just 
because I've always I've had some fascination with some other places. But uh, a friend of mine from that lives in Santa Fe and is, works with this amazing art collective called Meow Wolf called me up and she was like, "Hey, I'm doing some documentary stuff in Japan with some of the artists that are part of Meow Wolf, uh, and I'm going to be in Japan for like two weeks. Anybody want to go?" And I was like, "Yes." And her <laughs> sister was like, "Yes." And we're all like, great friends. So um, we got to be part of like an art opening thing and oh, like, nice. um, sort of do some work. And, and I'm setting up some uh, music industry connections with some folks that I was, uh, you know, um, meeting and, and did meet in Japan. That was one of the reasons I went. But it turned out to be the most, you know, out of all the play, I've been all around the world. I haven't really delved into South America that much. And Brazil is like on my top. I'm learning Portuguese right now. But um, uh, I definitely want to dive into that. Cool. Yeah. Um, don't put me on the spot though. Cause I'm not, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be like, okay, how do you say <laughs> this? In yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I am happy with my progress, but, uh, J- Japan has been, it, I don't know. It's so different and it's so amazing. And they're like, it's like this crazy dichotomy of light years ahead. And, um, in a lot of ways, and then like sticking to extremely traditional, um, you know, roots of a culture and uh, so that feels ancient, you know, in a lot of ways, that culture. And so those I, two things coming together is kind of like a yeah. crazy. I love that dynamic. Yeah. You know, it's it's so fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I, I don't think I've ever really been around. I've never been around anything like that anyway. And yeah. so I'm like, how, how quickly can I get back there? Because there's so much more to explore. Oh, yeah. I you bet. Know? Yeah. I can imagine so. Like, I feel like in America, our dynamic is like everyone's dynamic in a way yeah it's kind of based on it's a melting pot right yeah it is a melting pot but we don't have that like tradition you know yeah of that i think one of the things i used to say, I, I would still say i just haven't found myself saying it recently is um you know to be i think to be <laughs> this is gonna sound so like whatever i still say it i don't care um to be like a an American, a, f- a full on like American male, American. <laughs> you know, to be an American man, you have to have a rite of passage. You, you uh, specifically re- related to work. And my opinion is that you have to either have been a cowboy or a, uh, a door to door salesman. Okay. And, um, I'm allergic to horses. <laughs> so the cowboy thing, I got a bunch yeah. of cowboy. I'm from Louisiana. I got a bunch of cousins who are, who are cattle folk. Um, and around that stuff all the time, but that just wasn't me. So, you know, my entry into American maildom was, uh, working for the Chattanooga times free press, selling newspapers door to door, knocking on doors. Nice. Um, I don't, and I don't know exactly what, how I got to, into that story. <laughs> Something about being American. I definitely <laughs> want to hit on that too, but I should probably intro you. Cool. Uh, welcome to the Renaissance Stratton. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for being on here. Thanks um, for having me. So, uh, just to kick things off, like, if you're at a place uh, where people don't know you, say Japan, maybe not Japan, but like you're at somewhere that people don't know you and uh, you get that, you know, infamous question, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you go about answering that? Like, I'm a, I'm a musician. Okay. So yeah. just as straight and simple. I saw it. I actually, so what I actually do is I run Soundcore. The thing that pays the bills right now is right. I run Soundcore, which is a nonprofit organization in the music industry. And Soundcore, um, just to plug it, Soundcore, like uh, C O R P S, like Marine Corps, AmeriCorps, yeah. Peace Corps, uh, Sound, C O R P S. Yeah. yeah. 
dot dot org. Um, we just posted on Facebook literally last night. Uh, a friend of mine sent me this video and it was pretty depressing. It was like uh, called you know define the j- day job. I don't know if you've seen this video. I think it was. I, just I don't posted. think I've seen it. It was just posted like yesterday, so okay. it's pr- like news. I don't know who. Some. It was a great video, really depressing though, and it was like asking a bunch of uh, indie musicians, people who are you know s- have a name for themselves, like um, you know, do you have a day job and like everyone's like yes 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 you must have a day job um but if you ask a musician what they do and this is like in that video it's like if you ask a musician what they do they're like i'm a musician yeah (laughs) so they associate themselves with their passion versus their money making their money making right Mm -hmm. that's really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah do you think the uh the day job side of things gets in the way of that or is it just a means to an end you know I think it's, I think it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely in my life, it's been a means to an end and it's also gotten in the way. So, um, I've actually found my most creative, uh, my most creatively sort of like liberating times when I have a day job that allows me to, uh, pretty easily turn it off, like turn the day job off at okay. you know, 5 PM. So like nine to five works sure. great. Yeah. Um, or a job where I, ha- I have few responsibilities other than like labor. So like I've installed artificial turf football fields up in the Northeast for a while and it's like on the road and someone else manages that and I go in and like, you know, basically bust my ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stretch carpet all day. But then I'm like writing music at night, you know, it's great. Right. So those have been great for me. Jobs like running Soundcore where I'm like executive director and have mm-hmm. a bunch of responsibilities. Um, that really eats into my creative time. Big I time. can imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. But the the um, the like the manual manual labor style like work jobs. Yeah. It seems like it's related to the thing of like keeping your mind off things. You know. Yeah. Like your 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 music is going in the background, right? You're thinking about things. You're thinking about Soundcorp. You're thinking about your yeah. your songs, right? So yeah. Often. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The only problem with those jobs is that it can be, if you find yourself too physically exhausted at the end of the day you just wipes. it can be yeah. tough to like uh find the motivation to really to mm-hmm. you know uh plug in the guitar or, like you know start yeah. a new track or whatever right yeah um i i try to keep things as close to me as possible like i try to keep guitar or paper or um like whatever in uh close range like open you know so i can just grab it and go that's I don't smart. Know if you do anything similar? I like do. Yeah, all like my instruments pitches. are sitting out in yeah. the open, like ready to be played in yeah. any moment. It's something is just easy, easy as possible. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So, uh, tell me about your. Uh, how did you get started in music? Like, where did where did it come from? Where did the bug get you? Like, was it early? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm originally from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and um, that's an extreme. That's a very musical city, as everyone knows. It's part of the culture. Sure. So, uh, one of my earliest memories is at Mardi Gras, and you know, bands, uh, marching bands are, are a major part of the culture, and especially part of Mardi Gras. And so, I just remember being a little kid and seeing these like, fl- you know, the flambe guys with the they have these big sticks and they have flames on the end of them and they like carry them around as like propane tanks on their on their backs <laughs> and they look crazy and it's kind of scary <laughs> and it lights up the street with fire you know and then the marching band behind them with these big drums doom 
doom, 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 or whatever yeah, it is, you yeah. know? And uh, that just, that bass reverberating through my whole body, it was like scary and exciting at the same time. Like my chest oh, thumping, yeah. I think my heart was probably like skipping beats and stuff. <laughs> and I was basically addicted um, to music from that time on. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. really cool. So wh- when did you pick up a guitar? Um, uh, my did it start like, like, man, I want to get into this? Or like, was it kind of like a graduate? No, it was my mom's best friend from high school saw that I have long fingers. You can see my <laughs> fingers here. They're kind of, they're not, it's not really, they're not really manly hands. I'm, I'm definitely down with, with manual labor, but they're kind of like long and slender and sort of yeah. like, sort of beautiful, you know, if, you, if I do <laughs> Majestic, it, sort, if you will. <laughs> uh, a little ladylike in some ways, but nice nails. You see my yeah, nails there? Really, and I don't get nice manicures. Nails, yeah. They're just like, are you, you sure? know. So anyway, my mom's best friend saw my hands and was like, man, you'd be a great guitar player. And so she gave me uh, an old nylon string classical guitar when I was in sixth grade. And I took a couple lessons from a guy at the music store, Ken, uh, I forget his name now, in um, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, actually. And, um, you know, was sort of okay with it, but I wasn't addicted until uh, my best friend got a guitar. And then it was like, all right. Yeah. You know, game's on. Yeah. Like, who's going to get better <laughs> quicker? And so yeah. this was on about 13, 14. It was uh, probably like eighth grade or something like that um, when I really got into it. Yeah. And we learned every Led Zeppelin song. Uh, that's basically how we went, how we did it. That sounds just, just like mine. Like, that's, <laughs> it's like perfect. Every Led Zeppelin song. Yeah. I had a, I had a, like a best friend who he just, he was just so good. Just, just from the get go, he was so good. I think because his brother, played his mm-hmm. older brother played mm-hmm. so he got into it and he's just just creamed me it, like, it was awful i feel like steven and i are uh he's still you know my be- one of my best friends he's he's we've been friends since fourth grade nice <laughs> and we still trade tracks and stuff but he's we're very different players but so he would always like get the he, he would like get the solo thing like down yeah like shredding he would he could go fast and he would like nice. learn these like classical pieces that were intense you know and I was like learning to sing and play and okay. like s- like perform a song really right. well in front of people and so we had sort of different styles but it didn't stop us from being like super competitive <laughs> so I always kind of felt like he went because I you always want to be the shredder you know <laughs> yeah. and I'm betting that he always kind of was like man I wish I could like you know slay a crowd at this open mic night. Night, but right. instead I'm just yeah. like, you know, same thing, like yeah. back and forth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your parents. I'd love to hear about them. Yeah. My parents yeah. are cool. Yeah. Um, so my parents have, um, when I was going away to college, I have a younger sister. Uh, I was going away to college and we were always dog people. We always had these like black labs, these sort of, uh, you know, a large dog in the family. And about the time I was going away, it's really my sister's fault. I think she's an animal lover. She's got the hugest heart in the world. But uh, they ended up getting uh, a couple, two chihuahuas as babies, chihuahuas. as okay. babies. And the chihuahuas names, um, my parents named the chihuahuas Cheech and Chong. <laughs> of so course. That, yeah. So I think that sums up my parents pretty well. <laughs> They're really, really cool people and uh, very supportive and, and awesome. And uh, uh, generally, you couldn't ask for cooler parents. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Any like... Uh, off the top of your head, any like lessons that you've taken away from them, like it, life or music? For sure. In general, but yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they taught me everything I know. <laughs> um, my parents aren't particularly musical as far as uh, being. I don't think either one of them would characterize themselves as a musician. Okay. Um, however, my mom does play accordion or can play the accordion. Nice. I haven't seen her play it in forever. Um, 
and I bar I, part of that is because I borrowed it from her for like ten years, and <laughs> I had it. She didn't have it, but uh, lessons. <clears throat> I might have to get back. I mean, like, it, that's a pretty broad. Like, there's so, well, there's yeah, so yeah, much yeah. I can go for. I, I s- obviously, they supported you in, like, in your music yeah. ability, right? I think one thing that, that pops out pretty big in my head, you know, my dad's a pretty big sports guy. Yeah. Really likes sports. And Do you? Not really, I know. no. Yeah. Um, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy going to a CFC game, you know, sure. Chattanooga Football Club uh, soccer game. And going to games and stuff, and I can get it. I, I can enjoy sports, but I definitely don't follow them. I don't know any of the players' names. It's not my passion. Uh, yeah, I I don't either. I can I enjoy it, and I love going to games because you you feel the excitement of yeah. the crowd and the game and you know everything. But yeah, still, yeah. So, but you know, my dad, I think you know, definitely had some dreams of me being a sports star. Oh, okay. And, nice. um, so uh, sort of that vicarious thing, and and he's really knowledgeable about sports and understands that. So I did a lot of sports when I was growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and uh ha- but i have asthma i'm like that nerd guy who has really bad asthma and so ended up like being ended up it ended up that swimming seemed like the sort of the best thing for me in a lot of ways and so i was pre- and i was pretty good at swimming and so like you know i was i was all state i was an all state swimmer i was team ca- sw- high school swim team captain for 2 years and it was very competitive oh, awesome. environment i swam all year round i like dedicated my whole life to swimming and uh, he would get up and like, you know, one of the things I remember, I guess he was probably, he must have been probably about 45, 47 years old at the time. Okay. And he would wake his ass. Uh, can I, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast. Yeah, yeah go for I, it. Sorry. Yeah, that's, fine. Uh, that's just my <laughs> normal, maybe I should watch out for that. Anyway, he would wake up. Yeah, be authentic. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he would wake up at, you know, or I would wake him up at, you know, 5 a.m., 4.45, 5 a.m., and we would go to the gym before school. He would take me because I did like, you know, before I could drive or whatever. Yeah, he would right. like take me to the gym or take me to the pool and slug his way through some, he would slug his way through some treadmill, you know, BS or whatever. <laughs> like he wasn't into it, you know, but I was doing it. Like, uh-huh. I, and he would like dedicate himself to that, which was crazy to me, especially now being the age I am now, which is 34. Um, like waking up at 5 a.m. I can't imagine. That's some dedication. Yeah. Where do, where do you think that came from? Just You know, I don't know, man. Uh, I think he knows what it takes, you yeah. know, and uh, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of waking up early. Yeah. <laughs> do you still swim? Dude, my hair is like, <laughs> my hair is literally that was four a stupid feet question. long. <laughs> For Talk those about of treading you, water. Yeah, for those of you who can't see me, I have, uh, I do have really, re- pretty extremely, remarkably long uh, dreadlocked hair. And um, that does not go well with competitive swimming. So I can still swim, yeah. but I do not swim as a form of exercise very often or, uh, or competitively at all. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You still shave your body though, right? Yeah, the rest of my body is completely shaved. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I want to, he- I want to hear about your first time performing on stage. Ooh, you know, this How is did interesting. It go? Well, the, so some other ways in which I was supported as a young person was, uh, this is the hard question to answer because I'm pretty sure I was on stage from at a very early age. Okay. Okay. Um, but, and that was mostly through a church setting, which is oh, not okay. surprising. A lot of musicians are, are yeah, that way. it is. Um, so w- my w- my family moved away from Louisiana after Hurricane Andrew, 
and we moved to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which was a complete culture shock, culture shock, uh, very, you know, pretty white place to live versus, uh, like, you know, the extreme culture mix of Southern Louisiana. Um, and we, it was a pretty small town versus a big city. And, uh, I was the only, uh, my sister and I were like basically the only kids at this tiny church we went to. And so okay. I think one of the good things about that was that like the other people that went to the church were like extremely supportive. Um, and one, and one of the ways that they were supportive is a couple of folks, including the main pastor guy. And it was a very small place. Uh, the main pastor guy. And then, um, one of my mentors, Dr. Hugh Tewis, who was like a main leader of the church, you know, took me under their wing and, and I would play, I learned how to do a lot of guitar stuff with Dr. Tewis and we would, he would do like, he would lead song service in the morning with his guitar and it's kind of like folky stuff, you know, and sure. uh, I would get up there and strum along with him. Um, whether I was plugged in or not, didn't really matter. <laughs> I was just like following Dr. Tewis, you know. Yeah, but you were up so, there, you know, so you were, you're in it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that was probably those were my like training. That was like my training, like up there with like I gotcha. older guys, and I I got put in front of the congregation to do some like speaking and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like he he was a huge influence on you for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. What one hundred percent? Any other influencer influencing people in your life at that point? Mm, um, you talked pro- about your mom's friend. Mm-hmm. She lived far away, so cultural i think influential and you know influential i mean ah, there's so many people i mean it you know it definitely like sort of takes a village um there's i don't even that's such a another that's again (laughs) it's such a broad question that um i hadn't really considered some of the answers to like who has sort of influenced me from childhood but um something about the uh, doctor then Dr. Yeah, Dr. Tuis, and also my neighbor, my neighbors back there in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So, Dr. Tuis uh, is really into Southern gospel okay. s- music. He's also he also happens to be from uh, Louisiana, and so we connected in a lot of ways on that. And um, I never really got into the Southern gospel stuff, but he okay. wasn't he wasn't necessarily playing Southern gospel because you kind of need four part like five or six part harmonies for that stuff, and you got to have one guy who's like singing. Like so high, <laughs> I can't even. Like, I have a high voice, but I can't understand. Like BG's high, like oh yeah. man, yeah. insane! And you gotta have a guy singing so low, you know. Um, we didn't have that mix of people in our town, <laughs> so the most of the stuff that we played was sort of really folk, folk influenced. Or we would take those like old hymns or whatever and turn them into like an acoustic guitar and a person, one person singing kind of Americana style thing. And so, um, yeah, he had this like that dude printed up this songbook uh dr tuis did and he um you know printed me off one and had all the chords and had all the lyrics in it and we would get together occasionally in practice and then really like a lot of the practice was just straight up in front of the congregation i guess right. if, if people wanted to come do a sing-along um at like, i went to seventh day adventist church so that was on saturday mornings um if they wanted to come come do the like you know sing-along stuff at whatever time it was 9 30 a.m on a saturday um with Dr. Tuis Leiden, who was a really good musician, and then Stratton sometimes, you know, on the side who's <laughs> learning. Um, then they would, and it was it was always pretty fun. People would that's call right. out songs they wanted to hear, and they would we would play it. Oh, that's awesome! It was really you know communal. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was definitely not sort of like I had a. So when I left that town and went to college, uh, I went to Southern Adventist University, which is the first time I had been around like a bunch of 
uh, Christian and religious kids, right. That were my age that otherwise I was in public school and kind of doing my own thing. Sure. Um, and it was, a, the music experience was very different because that's where I was sort of more formally, or that's really where I was introduced to sort of this contemporary Christian music, which I immediately hated. <laughs> um, and I still can't stand just to be honest it's, for the most part. It's the music is bad. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> I'm glad we're in agreement. <laughs> we agree. <laughs> I I don't mind the messaging and the idea. It's just sure. It's, it sounds the same. Maybe I that's agree. the way. That's why I don't like it. It just sounds all. It's the not same. complex enough. It's very it's very simple. Yeah. And so like coming from that sort of folk and and um, I don't know more complex. I mean you know whatever Southern gospel you know Dr. Tuis would like harmonize when when I was singing he would like get on harmony with me and that's where I was learning about. Yeah. A lot of stuff like that where a lot of people would learn in a choir, for instance. Sure. Um, it's so complex and really interesting and, and really satisfying and challenging. And then to go to an environment where a lot of people are leading these like, you know, and I, but the interesting thing is I love, I, I really, really enjoy minimal techno music, which, you know, is extremely repetitive. But there's so much nuance in that music uh, because there's a lot of space there. There's a lot of nuance and that's really interesting to me. And you can do, you, you can mess yeah. around, you can do a lot of things in that space. And I think you could do that probably with contemporary Christian music if you wanted to, but they seem yeah, to choose yeah. not to. I, I, yeah. You, to, <laughs> you could totally do that and it'd be awesome. I'd listen to it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so oh, I don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry for all you worship leaders who are just like, Oh man, I, oh, love, gosh. I love doing this. <laughs> um, so how, how did that, um, gospel influence affect your music later on, like today, if you will. Like, how does how has it affected your writing process, perhaps? Hmm. I think the concept of storytelling. Like, I'm still really into um, a lot of different types of traditional, uh, like hymn type of tunes. I don't mm-hmm. really go to church, but I still participate in. Um, uh, a practice called sacred harp singing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with shape notes. I don't know singing. if I know what that is. Yeah, so it's a traditional. Boy, I'm going to do a really bad job at pitching it. But <laughs> essentially, um, it's traditional traditional form of singing, and it 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 happened. You know, there was a time when when you know pianos and instruments weren't really something that everybody had or that were really very ava- available. So like, if you all want to sing a song together in key, someone's got to pitch that song, right? So like. We're gonna. I'm gonna say C is here. This is C, and who knows what? No, I don't know what. The, I don't have perfect pitch, so I don't right. know what <laughs> note that is. But like, we're gonna start here, you know, and, uh-huh. and everybody kind of like chimes in and like gets tuned up with their vocals, and then you start the song, right? See, and there's like shape note singing or sacred harp singing. There are four specific parts. Um, you can find out more about this at fasola.org, fasola.org. But it's extremely. Uh, it's a rich heritage, and, and a lot of it exists around here in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area and you can access it pretty easily so so um the interesting thing is is that the tune back in the day the tune is the thing that has the name so oh man if any old if any people are listening i'm just going to get this so wrong and i apologize but you know the song that we recognize as amazing grace today is actually i think called old britain that's this that's the title of the tune okay okay and you can set 
many different poems to that tune or many different many different word oh, sets okay. to that tune. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So that song's really old Britain. Amazing. Yeah. The the uh, one, one with that with the words "Amazing Grace" happens to be the one that sort of got popular. Sure. But there are a bunch of other things you can sing to that tune, um, and a lot of things. A lot of you know, of course, those old traditional songs, uh, hymns have a lot of uh, you know tons of biblical references and stuff, but. Uh, so some of them are more sort of stuffy than others, but the the storytelling aspect of what those songs do is um, something that's always just stuck with me in songwriting. And I've definitely gotten away from that. Like you know, in my early days of songwriting, uh, you know, it was easier. It was it's. I think it's probably easier to just be kind of um, poetic and random a little bit, mm-hmm. and maybe sort of like try to express a mood through maybe through words that don't necessarily have relation to each other that seems to be the the trend that i see like nowadays yeah i'm not too into that i think those are not i don't think those are great songs i think songs that resonate with people if you're putting lyrics to it um do tell a story and that that people can relate to and i think that you know one of the main points of songwriting is uh or you know, it's an oral history. That's traditionally, mm-hmm. it's an oral history and it's a way to remember what happened and it's a way to talk about mistakes and it's a way to talk about successes sure. and to to pass down stories, you know? So like, right. I think that's still a really, <laughs> really important element of songwriting personally. Um, but again, to get into it, maybe you experiment with, you know, of course experimentation is not, not a bad thing. I just happen to be in a place right now where I really appreciate storytelling and that a lot of that comes from those days. Right, yeah. That's that's really fascinating. I I storytelling is that's kind of what i go for are you familiar with uh coheed coheed and Cambria? yeah for sure the, i love their like story arc style of playing that's cool you know i've yeah. never gotten into them they're, they tend to be they're they're a little too proggy for me they yeah they're they're proggy but but i'm glad you like them i do not have much to say about coheed and cambria but uh <laughs> but that's cool <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Throw me it like, you know, suggest a song that I should check out that has that good, good story art. Yeah. Most people don't, it's hard to get into his voice. Yeah. Claudia's voice, but yeah, it's, it's good. I stuff. feel like he could do some s- Southern gospel. <laughs> I bet he could. He could hit those. Out. I'd like to see that album. Yeah. He could hit those high notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, tell me more about mentors. Like, have you had more mentors? For sure. I mean, mentor. Yeah. Just, uh, just, out the ears yeah mentors out the ears um you know some of them are more uh, some some of the situations are more formalized than others um one really important mentor who i don't you know one thing that is not very good of me is uh is telling these people or like thanking these people for the influence they had on my life you know um, or like communicating to them, Hey, here's what I'm up to. And you know, oh, I see I, like, like following up with them. And yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. cause uh, you know, the situations change, you move, whatever. And you know, sometimes you just kind of fall off, but like those, you know, those people have come into your life and taught you something very important and sure. helped you along or whatever. Um, and so all the people I've mentioned so far definitely fall into that category. I would say another person who recently had a major success, uh, is a guy named Terry Benedict. He happens to live around here. He's uh, he's a filmmaker, and um, uh, he recently, uh, you know, what I honestly don't know exactly what his title was. I believe it's producer, maybe ex- executive producer of the film that Mel Gibson recently released on the Desmond Doss story. Oh, okay. Called awesome. Hamburger Hill, maybe is that what it was called? I'm blanking on the title or something like that. 
Sorry. Sounds this, like a good t- See, I'm like being a horrible <laughs> mentee. I'm being a horrible, like, hey, I should have. So um, <laughs> anyway, Terry, like, yeah, he took me under his wing when I was in film school or just out of film school. And uh, part of that was because I hit him up. And that's often, like, all you really need to, that's one learning experience, you know, like, uh, actually, this just came up, this just came up, like, yesterday, who was it, oh, it was, uh, well, it doesn't really matter, ultimately, like, you know, approaching people, if you have a reason to approach them, and, 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 and you want to learn from them, um, and you're, especially if you're a fan, or you're into the, into the whatever, and it makes sense for you to learn from them, if you've reached a place where you're able to learn, then, like, hitting those people up uh, yeah. in person, on phone, via email, whatever, uh, is pr- oftentimes pretty effective, especially if you, if you know what you're talking about, you know, or if you show some capability, mm-hmm. right? Um, do, you, uh, do, you, do you go about it like, hey, will you be my mentor? Like, not check usually. Yes, not usually. Or is it like, hey, I have this question about something very specific. Yeah. Uh, I know you're an expert in this field. Like that's often that's yeah. that's what's worked for me. But actually, sometimes and usually I don't approach it in a like, hey, I'm planning for you to be my mentor situation. Sure. Oftentimes <laughs> it's like, oftentimes it's like, hey, I really valued what you said at this thing. Uh, want to go? Uh, want to have lunch sometime? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or like, hey, what are you working on? Can I lend a hand on this yeah. deal? So um, giving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, Terry Benedict had a really profound influence on me. He spent a lot of time with me. I worked on some projects for him. Uh, had you know, uh, so did my my really good friend John Michael Brown. Also was part of part of all of this as well. And we were kind of learning together. And we would go up to uh, Terry would was putting together some projects, putting together some documentaries. One specifically on this um, open air produce market called Hay Market. I want to say that it's that it's actually America's longest running open air produce market. I might be wrong nice. about that, but it's in Boston. And um, it was going through some transi- transition from like sort of okay. like old, uh, the, the the Irish, you know, the sort of uh, Italian and Irish dudes who, who, were, who were running the thing, actually Italians, I think more than Irish. Oh, geez, I'm getting up. <laughs> if anyone's from Boston, look, I'm from Louisiana. I'm just like, a su- <laughs> like whatever. I don't really know that much. But uh, it was going through a transition from them to, to you know, uh, Asian immigrants, some folks from Cambodia okay. and um, some other places. And it was kind of tumultuous, you know, those, the, the, the way business is done is differently between cultures and stuff. And we were there sort of documenting a lot of that, like sort of um, there's a lot of sentimental sort of, attitude from the Italians. Um, like, you know, this is very traditional. This is old family stuff. And this sure, is, you know, sure. and then there was a lot of like, you know, Hey, we're immigrants. I'm a, I'm a Russian. I'm a Cambodian. I'm busting my ass in this produce where the margins are super thin. Yeah. And my day job is at, uh, you know, gate gourmet at the airport, loading up the airplanes with things. And I'm here on the weekends, like hawking this food and we're doing deals, you know? And it's yeah. just like, uh, yeah. pretty wild. And so that was that was a cool project. I worked on that, and I don't think that film ever got funded. I don't think it, it ever got greenlit. But we did like a nice little five minute sort of uh, pitch, like a reel for it. it. Sounds like a good experience too. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. was that during school? Like, were you still at school? I at the think time? I was technically maybe out of school. I, okay. I, I actually am not. I think I was out of school, and I think I was doing freelance filmmaking at the time. And what that meant was like a lot of wedding videos, plus. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, my lucky thing, I mean, I had a degree in film production, so I was lo- working on legit stuff as well. Um, but 
I was living in Chattanooga, so there's not that much legit stuff to work on. Um, yet. Yet. <laughs> uh, but, but I had been, you know, I lived in, I lived in Zambia, Africa for uh, about oh, know, awesome. almost a year. That's where I started the locks. That's nice. Yeah. And um, uh, so I had some considerable experience when I was 19 with uh, crossing African borders and uh, th- in thanks to some mentors there, you know, it's like <laughs> everybody's, I've gotten influenced by That's a lot of awesome. people, but like I've been pegged, I was pegged as, you know, someone who could deal with third world situ third world situations and sort of get through that and, 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 you know, get camera gear into and out of, uh, South Sudan, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But that, that wasn't that easy to do in 2002 and 2003. And so I was picked up by a number of like missions organizations and, and other organizations who had interest in doing documentary stuff overseas in third world countries and was able to, you know, make some money that way, um, through my craft. So I think that, that the, I think that was all happening around the same time when I was like sort of traveling around the world doing videos Uh as well as, uh, yeah. That's rad. What got you into going towards Africa? Like, I don't, I imagine a lot of people wouldn't do that. It, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it could be like <laughs> scary to some people, not, not right. the country itself, but actually going right. to a different country and like, right, right, know, right. Um, crossing borders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh man, this gets so deep. I guess I'll start <laughs> with the, I'll start with the deepness. I feel like I'm talking way too much. Um, no, the, not at you're all. gonna just have to cut whatever you want out. <laughs> so, so growing up, okay. So this goes back to sort of like this f- fear of being uh, seen as a hypocrite. That I that that I'm I'm definitely about being genuine, and um, that is um, that's just something that's been mm-hmm. part of me for very since from very young, and so like that was you know so s- some examples of that from a, as a young person. Um, I was, I mentioned that I was highly dedicated to swimming and I was, uh, I'm, I made the state cut in a, a few events, uh, to swim in the Missouri state swimming meet, uh, high school swimming meet, high school champions, wh- whatever you nice. call it, the top, the top eight, right? So yeah. you make the cut on Friday and then the, um, then the state meet, the finals are on Saturday, okay. but I was seventh day Adventist at the time. And, uh, uh, so like, I don't think my parents actually would have, would have like, especially my daddy's really into sports and loves like winning. Um, you know, they would have been like, Hey, thumbs up, like, cool. Swim on the Sabbath, right? Some Adventists keep the Sabbath Friday. But I'm like, Hey, if I'm going to go to this church and call myself a Seventh-day Adventist, then ain't no way I'm going to be swimming on Saturday. Like this is stupid. That's two faced. Right. I I tell all my friends that I can't go to the Friday night football game because I'm seventh day Adventist. And then you're going to say what, and, but you're swimming in the state meet on Saturday. Like to me, that's stupid. I don't like that at all. It's ingenuine and not honest. And so, um, I've been kind of, I've always been kind of hardcore in that way. Um, which I don't think has necessarily served me well because I don't think the world works that way. I think it, I think that's good though. I think that's authentic, you know, it's authentic. It's authentic. But so there's, so that's been a part of me. And, uh, so the opportunity came up to in college. So Southern Adventist university, they have this student missions program, right? And everyone's got sort of an opportunity. Uh, if you maybe raise like some small, like $3,000 or something, which wasn't a small amount of money at that time, but then that was before Kickstarter. But, uh, right. you know, <laughs> my parents helped a lot in like letter writing campaign and seeing where I could, how I could find oh, nice. this money. So I had some scholarships and stuff yeah. like that come in. 
And so raise $3,000. You can go be a student missionary somewhere and they, they list a bunch of opportunities and almost, and many of the opportunities are in these sort of more group settings. Um, and, you know, I remember one specific, you know, you could go to like 20, 20 stu- Southern student missionaries. were going to go to some Island in the South Pacific or something like that and uh, teach school for, you know, nine months, whatever. And like, I'm like, how is that? Like, yeah, of course. Beach, I'll go, yeah. Uh, beach just, vacay. Yeah, just go live <laughs> in the South Pacific for like nine months and like to hang out. How is that like hardship or anything? You know, how is that like, quote unquote, missionary? Plus, I didn't really care to be around like 20. I wanted to get out of my comfort zone, you know? Yeah. And so, um, so I was like, th- I saw one opportunity. It was like construction work in Zambia. I was like, oh, Africa. Like, you know, you think of missionary, you're like, okay, Africa, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I went to Zambia, and it turned out to be much more, uh, you know, just like anything. Uh, it turns out to be a lot different than you expect it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I mean, Zambia is a wonderful place. Uh, it wasn't violent at the time. It wasn't, you know, in any sort of like really bad, you know, it, they were going through a famine, so it was in bad shape in, in a lot of ways, and I ended up working with the World Food Program significantly, as did my friend John Michael Brown, who who was there with me, so there were four of us, actually, from Tennessee who were over there, but it was a big expanse, and it was landlocked, and it was like, you know, we were on a banana farm, and okay. uh, it was a pretty intense and amazing experience. I don't think, I was definitely the one who pushed for Africa. I think my my best friend, John Michael, would have been, was like uh uh, maybe not so keen on it, but I think in retrospect, like, yeah, it's a cool decision. Pretty, pretty yeah, far sounds out. Like it. Pretty intense. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I got so many stories from that experience that are, uh, I mean, that, I mean, I still have the hair. I still <laughs> literally like I was 19, I'm 34. Yeah. I still have the same hair. Well, it sounds like life changing, life changing. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any like, any like highlighted stories you want to hit or like, I mean, I, I know you got, I probably have millions of them, but yeah. So one of my best stories, I need to consult my journal again, but like one of my best stories is my poop, my pants story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to know. About this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is, this is so weird, man. Cause yesterday I went to go renew my, uh, motorcycle like license or whatever was it license plate you know i had to pay 17 bucks to get a sticker that says like why do i by the way why do i why does the why do i have to do that but anyway i went to (laughs) i paid 17 bucks and now i still have a motorcycle that i've had right and i can ride it i guess without getting (laughs) congratulations thank you um so uh that's a really good racket. I feel I feel like I could start selling stickers for seventeen bucks and like do our might like de, like require people to have a sticker. Uh-huh. And I feel like I could do all right. You know, <laughs> it just, sounds like a good business. Yeah, business model. That's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> anyway, we're uh, so the lady at the DM at the place um, Hamilton County Courthouse wouldn't stop laughing. I was up there and she was like taking my money and she just started laughing and I was like I was like I you know I'm pretty happy. I was like. I'm happy that you're so happy. Uh, this is weird though that you're laughing yeah. this much while I'm just trying to renew like, my why, license why plate. And she's like, "I've seen you before." And I was like, "Oh, great. <laughs> 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 this is going to go well." And um she was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Have you done any more?" And she just couldn't stop laughing like but be- be- like in between her laughs, she like blurted <laughs> out like, "Have you done any more Pachacacha events?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> so you saw me do my poop my pants story." And she just almost, she literally almost fell out of her chair. (laughs) 
And I think the person with her, uh, yeah, the person with her had no idea. Like the person working next to her had no idea what was going on. Was totally serious. It was just such a weird, uh, <laughs> weird event. So here, here it goes. Uh, my poop, my pants story. This is the really short version. I, uh, so when I was living in Zambia, <clears throat> I lived in basically a shed. My homeboy, John Michael and I, we, we essentially lived in, it, it did have a light bulb in it. Um, and it did have technically, it did have running water, okay. uh, but there was no hot water <clears throat> and there was, um, it was very rustic. And then our shower was outside behind the shed for basically from a spigot that was elevated. Um, so we took a shower outside, you know, and yeah. our toilet was a drop hole toilet that was way over, you know, in the middle uh, of the yard sort of uh, thing. Uh, right. And we were, it was a banana farm. And so bananas require a decent amount of water. And we were next to a river called the Kafui River, uh, which has hippos and crocodiles in it that will kill you. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And malaria is something that, that, you know, rivers and banana farms and things yeah. in Zambia yeah, have. So the, one of the main things is not to get malaria, right? Try not to get, don't get bit by mosquitoes. <laughs> malaria is, you know, bring, mosquitoes bring malaria. And so um, if you go outside at night or at dusk, you generally wear full-length clothing, long sleeves, long pants, and spray yourself down with bug spray like crazy. So that's just the setup, okay? Okay. <clears throat> so we um, went out. To, we were w- being welcomed to a village. Uh, we actually went out and, like, brought some food because we were doing relief, famine relief work. We brought some food to a village uh, and they welcomed us. The people were in pretty bad shape but very grateful and uh, gave us some traditional drink that I believe is called Jibwantu in Kufui region of Zambia. In the Kufui region of Zambia, they they brought the Jibwantu, which is like roots and boiled boiled together in some sort of drink, right? Not alcoholic. And um, so pass it around and and everybody that, like I'm down for new experiences, you know, like. Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, so. Everybody, want to. I mean, come yeah, on. <laughs> all the Americans, most of the Americans I was with were like, they passed. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Or South Africans too. There were a few South Africans, a few Americans. And they're like, ah, I don't think so. And I took it. I'm like, these people are offering us this gift. And so I started drinking it. It smelled like vomit. <laughs> it didn't oh, smell no. good at all. Oh, no. <clears throat> so anyway, like drank it. I was like, oh, this tastes bad. And so she, w- they wanted to send me with some home. So I had this like Nalgene bottle, this water bottle. And I took some back with me and I was like, well, maybe if I put it in the refrigerator that's on the farm, which is, which wasn't in, you know, near really yeah. our place, but it was like, yeah. we had to walk, t- but there was a refrigerator on the farm. Uh, so threw it in there and, um, went back later that evening and was like, Oh, let me try this Jibantu. And, you know, took some swigs. It still tasted horrible, <laughs> but I was like down, down to try it. So then like, you know, midnight hits and I'm in my, in my, uh, bed and sleeping because that's what you do in midnight and uh the stomach starts rumbling you know oh man i was woken up by sweating and stomach rumbling that's not good and i was like this is gonna happen i'm some things are coming out i don't know (laughs) so you know this was really my first time having to use the restroom at night on the farm i was still pretty young pretty new in in the country and uh little trepidatious about it but knew I had to do something otherwise it was not going to be pretty in my bed and get got out of the mosquito net threw clothes on you know lather my lather my clothes up with uh mosquito spray went out you know did not bring my leatherman with me because one thing you learn when you use a squat toilet is that you have a leatherman uh strapped to your belt and you undo your belt 
that heavy object will often like take take itself and half your belt down the hole with you know with it you, you don't want to go down that hole you know you're not going down that <laughs> hole you're not going down that hole period um so anyway so you know it's, it's assume the position of squatting and was just about to do my thing and a freaking bat flew out of the toilet and hit me sorry for your listeners but that's what happened a bat flew out of the toilet and hit me while my pants what? were down and i was totally bare and so it literally scared the shit back into me <laughs> like so my pants were on my ankles i screamed I, i'm pretty sure the bat screamed too <laughs> i definitely screamed and ran back to my shed with my pants around my ankles everything's just flopping i get back just like slide into my bed like you know the best uh, baseball player you've ever seen ozzy smith or something <laughs> from the cardinals and and you know i was freaking out and that's, so yeah that's awful so then you know once my heart kind of calms down my stomach starts rumbling again it's like yeah. nothing is ha- nothing productive <laughs> has happened other than me just being scared and so i'm like i cannot go back to that toilet i cannot go back to that bat the bat's gonna get me it's gonna bite me while my pants are down like you, that's not, that's unacceptable that's not a thing that you should ever do yeah. or put yourself like in a situation you should yeah. be in and so <clears throat> Ultimately, my final solution was just to, uh, I had this like sort of chair that the middle could come out, like the part that your butt sits on, like you could just take that out. And so it turned into sort of, no, uh, it's sort no. of a toilet, you know? No. And so I just took that out into the yard no. and, uh, just did my thing in the yard and, you know, re- but like, but you know, the yard was much different environment than the, than the, the squat area and, I got a bunch of mosquito uh, mosquito bites on my butt, and that's when I got malaria the first time. Uh, oh gosh! Oh, uh, this is all tragic. This is just all <laughs> tragic. <laughs> so now I can't go to Hamilton County Courthouse without being laughed at. <laughs> I imagine so. That's I would need therapy after that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. I mean, malaria was malaria was rough, dude. That's not fun. But Man. and so people live with it. You got over malaria, obviously. Yeah, I had it one other time, but uh got over it. Yep. That's good. Yeah. So <laughs> on that note, let's completely switch <laughs> switch over to <laughs> Soundcorp maybe. Yeah, sure. Uh uh where did the idea come from? Like, was it an inspiration or was it like something, an idea popped in your head? Like where, yeah, no, where does Soundcore this come is, from? Soundcore is a community project. It's not a Stratton Tingle project. And that's one of the most frustrating things that I, that I feel like I deal with because um, it's really, bi- because it's a community project and like I, I and um, I've tried really hard not to be sort of like, hey, this is Stratton Tingle's project, you know, or whatever. Okay, okay. But, um, it's still it's I'm the only employee and I'm the face of the organization so it's it's it, I, I understand why that happens but yeah. basically this is an idea this is a project that the community in Chattanooga has been the music community in Chattanooga has been working on for years mm-hmm. essentially early iterations happened when when music industry people would get together and you know there's there's actually an event like this happening this weekend um people essentially usually it starts out of frustration hey why can't I get people out to my shows? Uh, why is there only one bar to play in town? Why, you right. know, whatever. And so it's like, hey, let's do something about this. And people come together, musicians come together and say like, hey, let's 
work on some idea to make this situation better. Like we want more people at our shows. We want um, a place for all ages, you know, for young people to play. We want this and we want that. And so that's that kind of thing has happened throughout the years, startup and, and, and things would get done. So like uh, Jen Gregory did some of this, Jonathan Sussman uh, really like, helped pull a lot of people together Adam and Monica Kinsey before track 29 revelry revelry room were a thing you know a lot of people really invested in the music scene um out of the love for music um would would start these things and and have these sort of charrette sessions and these you know get together and and how can we make this better and so at some point um you know the leaders of the community and uh some major philanthropic leaders uh took notice and were like okay um, let's see if there's anything to this. Like how can music make, you know, how can a robust music scene make Chattanooga a better place? So a couple of foundations got together, Lendhurst and Bidwin Foundation got together and brought in some uh, consultants from Austin, Texas to come do an economic impact study on what the economic impact of music was on Chattanooga. And the uh, results were pretty astounding. It, 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 music actually has a pretty big impact on our economy. Um, and, you know, that's measured from everything from, of course, like ticket sales to music events and like, you know, I guess <laughs> CD purchases or record purchases right. or whatever, which is pretty much. Is that is that looking at our city specifically or at looking our at city. other cities in comparison? No, our city. OK, cool. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's it's an economic, an econ- you know, it's an economic impact study. So, like, measuring the amount of money that, that circulates when a music event happens. Sure. Whether that's the symphony, whether that's, uh, you know, whatever, band of horses coming to play Track 29. You know, did people drive up from Atlanta? Did they spend money on dinner? Did they spend money on a hotel? Um, what else yeah, did they purchase the, while they were there, while yeah. they were here? How much came in in taxes? And so, you know, it gets pretty in-depth. But ultimately... Uh, music has a has a large impact on and a positive impact on our economy, and those those consultants then went a step further and said, "Here's how you can grow that impact." Like currently we're here, and the res- the initial study was in 2014. Currently we're here, and here's where you want to be. Um, and there's three they they pitched like three scenarios. Here's three scenarios in which you can get there. You can do a really like slow growth and don't invest much money into it and here's where you'll be or you can do sort of medium or you can do like insane growth and these are the things you should do so um they get they they left with that those foundations had that document and they essentially approached me and said hey uh, so by the way out this is okay so i was working at the chattanooga chamber of commerce for about six years and, you know, had gone through Leadership Chattanooga and, and sort of um, had gotten, you know, th- that was my day job, Chamber of Commerce job, but like, and I was still doing music in the evenings and on weekends and right. doing big stuff, trying to, or trying to do big stuff, I should say, really investing a lot into it. And so like, at, at this point, these two worlds sort of came crashing together, this sort of community leadership and business, to, you know, business uh, focus and advocacy and public policy stuff came together with the music stuff, which yeah. I've been sort of, I'm a Gemini. I was kind of like living two, two different lives. Um, <laughs> when these foundations said, Hey, we, we've got this report. Uh, we want, uh, you to start a company that, um, you know, hits a lot of, a lot of the things that this report suggests. So that's where it started. Okay. So that's why our that's why our mission is to build Chattanooga's music economy. 
And so I'm, I'm getting a little bit away these days from, from that being my elevator pitch because um, especially the people that we're trying to serve, the musicians and people like starting up music industry businesses, you know, when you start talking about economic development, eyes kind of glaze over. And so, sure, sure. Yeah. So really what, <laughs> really what that means is um, what Soundcore does is help music industry professionals to make money. Yeah. That's what we do. And um, we do that through a, a number of ways. I don't know if you want me to get into the programs or, or what, but uh, you can, if you want. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of a brief. So we started up with, with a number of things. One is we did an event in 2015 called speak up in June that said, Hey, what do you need to, to take the next step in your music career? And uh, people gave us a bunch of, uh, told us about what they felt like they needed, needed to know. A lot These of are like artists, musicians primarily, musicians, yeah. but um, music industry professionals, but okay. musicians primarily. Um, you know, one of the main things was, was marketing. How do I grow my audience right. through marketing? You know, <laughs> right. Um, so that's like a big, that's big a big question. question. Yeah. It's a big question. Yeah. So, um, that's one of the things, you know, um, how do I book more shows? How do I book, how do I book track 29? And it's like, well, you haven't even played an open mic night. Yet. You're not ready <laughs> for track 29, you know, but these are serious questions uh-huh. that people, you know, you, you got stars yeah. in your eyes. You want to make it to the next step. How do I do it? And so we, uh, we took that information. We decided to launch a, uh, a quarterly panel series called Take Note. We just had our most recent Take Note, but essentially we bring panelists in from out of town and we also have local experienced panelists talk about these specific subjects. Yeah, the so last one was great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Um, the, uh, you know, and essentially if you've ever been to a music conference, South by Southwest or whatever, this happens, th- these, th- you know, this kind of activity is part of any regular music conference. Sure. But whenever I go to South by Southwest, I'm often one of maybe like, you know, four to maximum 10 people down there from Chattanooga and almost none of, you know, I rarely saw any Chattanoogans actually at the conference and more, I would see them playing shows or out at shows, right? At the festival part of it. Right. But the conference part of it is really where you take those next steps and you make those connections and you're, if you're trying to be a professional in the music, in today's music industry. Right. So, um, they serve as, you know, these take note events serve as networking opportunities for the local music scene. They serve as obviously, uh, you know, they, we're bringing these people in from out of town to make connections with locals. And so a lot of the people that have come in from out of town that are either lawyers or record label owners or, uh, otherwise industry executives or studio owners, um, they're making connections with locals and, and trying to do business, mm-hmm. you know, which is pretty cool. I mean, people are taking sort of the next step and expanding their yeah. markets and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then it also, obviously we focus on a lot of the, uh, specific, you know, music business kind of stuff. We, you know, I, I love asking kind of like the hard questions and seeing how people respond <laughs> to them on stage because I put sure. them on the spot, but I'd give them the, I'd give them the questions before, beforehand. If they didn't read the questions, it's their own fault. But I say, you know, uh, how much money do you make? Yeah, that's a tough question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, so uh, you own a studio. <laughs> yeah. So you own a studio in Atlanta. How much money do you make? Uh, 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 and so, well, I mean, there are people in the audience who, who dream of owning their own recording studio. They want to know. And they want to know, like, can they feed two kids with this income? And funnily enough, the last guy we had on stage, if, if you were there, you, you probably know who I'm talking about. I found out after the event, because we went and had drinks afterwards, and I love making connection with these people, that his wife is a freaking, uh, physician's assistant. 
And so he doesn't have to worry that much about uh-huh. bringing home the bacon, you know? And like, he could have said that from the stage. That's, uh, you know, maybe people want to save face or something, but guess what? Part of his strategy in the music industry is to marry someone who's making a lot of money <laughs> so that he can do his fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he obviously, you know, relationship, you know, I'm not asking him about his relationship sure, and, and sure. what all, But that, know. that dynamic of like, Okay, we need to eat, right? Yeah, it's it has like to come somewhere from somewhere. And, and we put these people on a stage saying, "Oh, this is a this is a songwriter making, yeah. you know, living this lifestyle through songwriting." It sounds glamorous, and it sounds know. glamorous. It's a bunch of BS most yeah. of the time, you know. <laughs> like you got to hustle, mm-hmm. and the people who are hustling are probably not, are, you know, I don't know. Um, it's tough out there, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's a hard lesson. I think that that's something that the industry itself wants to keep behind a veil. You know, and that's not interesting to me because for us in Chattanooga to have a thriving music industry, we need people to understand that, sure, maybe you maybe you need a day job, maybe you need to marry a physician's assistant, um, and you need to be working on your craft like crazy if you're going to even close come you've, close. You've got to have the goals. You have to have the mindset yeah. and persistence. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's been anyway. I got off on a really big tangent <laughs> there, but take note is one of our one of our things. Uh-huh. More briefly, we have an eight week music industry intensive course we built called Craft Masters, mm-hmm. which uh, is is an awesome. We we built this curriculum. We wrote this curriculum that that um, is really inspired by. Uh, collabs co-starters a lot of y'all out there probably know about that it's an excellent program for business acceleration mm-hmm. baby basically um and we we it's essentially collab here in town yeah collab yeah. is here in town um yeah. and um anyway it's a business acceleration yeah. course what they built and and i'm extremely impressed by it and uh, kudos to them we basically did a music industry sort of version of that essentially um uh, you know oh, that's a great way to think about it i didn't think about it like yeah, that. yeah. It, it's it, that's the easiest sell for people who are, who even yeah. know what co-starters is but you know we get 10 people together in a classroom for eight weeks two hours a week and we go through um you know your mission statement your branding statement and if you don't have those things we build them uh we go through what does the budget look like who do you need on your team who is your customer obviously mm-hmm. like who's actually buying your stuff what are your revenue streams you know business planning stuff yeah but it's specific to music industry so everybody's kind of like in a similar boat it's pretty right. cool yeah and so that's one program uh, another program that we built is called uh sidewalk stages which is a street performance initiative mm-hmm. obviously uh with that you know so the the recurring theme through these programs again is helping music industry professionals make money right and like build their careers so um it's obvious how Take Note does that. It's I I hope it's obvious how Craftmasters does that. It's a business plan. It's a business acceleration program. A um, little less obvious how Sidewalk Stages does that. But Sidewalk Stages it's a street performance initiative. We we schedule between twenty five and thirty five performances every weekend in public places throughout Chattanooga uh, from April through October. So we'll have eight hundred performances at this year. Um, wow, if all goes awesome. well, we've gotten a lot of rain days so far, so yeah. we got to kind of ramp it up, but like, that's, that's how it goes. Um, and so what that pr- program does is one, it helps performers who may not have been performing on the streets to build skills, uh, that they weren't working on previously. And I think street performance is a, an absolutely necessary skill to have. If you're going to be a professional musician specifically, um, you need to be able to understand how to entertain audiences, no matter what environment you're in. And I think on the street is a great environment to, to practice in, to try that out in Two, It helps street performers to that, uh, you know, to bring in revenue that they may not, may not have been realizing in the past. So, um, that's the way in which it helps people build their careers. But three, the, the community building aspect of it is really the big hitter for sidewalk stages. 
one of our main, if we're going to have a thriving music economy here in Chattanooga, we need the community to buy into that. Sure. So we need the community, we need Chattanoogans in, at large to self-identify as living in a great music city, which I truly believe we are. Um, it's telling that story and it's helping the everyday person out on the street meet, you know, come into contact with a music scene, uh, with a Chattanooga music professional, you know, and I think there's no better way to do that than through street performance, getting performers out into public spaces during the daytime when people are around and identifying yeah. Chattanooga as having a great and thriving music scene. I think know? it's a fantastic idea because you're, you're adding value to the musicians, but you're also adding value to the city. Too, that's right. right. It's a both win-win. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what we're hoping for. And, and so far it's going really, really, really well. This is our second right. season. Um, we actually have found so so we offer our musicians uh, our performers a stipend uh, to perform uh, to our performance. Um, we have you know I get I get hit up every week by local businesses. <laughs> I mean, and I do, I have a big side because Soundcore is a one one employee organization. It's yeah. just me being paid, and I have a ton. We have of, some volunteers. I think, oh, we right? man, we have like really really dedicated volunteers, but like it's a lot of work. Yeah, and um. I have a bunch, I have a number of interns that are amazing and I have uh, our, my board of directors is just insane and, uh, have been like rolling up their sleeves and they do so much work. It's, it's nuts. It's amazing. But, um, <clears throat> I get hit up every week by businesses in town saying, Hey, we want a performer, you know, of mm-hmm. course out in front of my, you know, well, of course you do like that, you know, of course you <laughs> want a performer for free, like a city <laughs> service out in front of your business. Um, w- our promise to our performers is that we're putting them in places that have, that enjoy high foot traffic where they can reasonably expect to receive good tips. I see, right. Sure. But we offer our performers a stipend of 25 bucks to do a two hour performance, which is not, which is not, we don't pretend that that's some sort of like appropriate amount of money to pay a musician for a performance at your place of business, for instance. Um, but, uh, we, that allows us to sort of it's vet. something it's right. something yeah. and it allows our performers to it allows, allows us to sort of vet our performers to make sure that they're capable of performing two hours of music um, and also to um, you know if someone gives us some problem or doesn't follow the rules or whatever um, then we we have the ability to like kick them out of the program like more easily there's like a okay. little incentive kind of thing yeah. you know um, but uh, we found that that Chattanooga or that the public has, basically matched and so far this year exceeded what our investment into those performances that's is. great so um we've seen the, the amount of money that we've put into uh paying street performers to be out there has been um exceeded by the amount of tips that are coming in which is pretty cool so you know if you think of that if you break that down what that me- and we require our performers to report to us um that's one reason why we offer the stipend but uh, it helps us know t- helps us to know um what places are good, what places are, don't enjoy good yeah. foot traffic yeah. and how people are doing, what the scene on the street is. And, um, you know, so what that translates into is that they're pay- being paid by us 25 bucks. And then they're also, uh, on average receiving over 25 bucks in a two hour time period in tips. Sure. Um, so that's, you know, generally around 50 bucks in yeah. two hours for a yeah. Saturday at 2 PM or a Sunday at 4 p.m. That As opposed to like playing at your house or, you know, <coughs> exactly. just goofing off, right? So Exactly. So it's cool. It's been a really cool program. Uh, quick note on the Craftmasters uh, point. Yeah. Uh, what, from the people that you've you've been teaching, what what are some barriers that you've seen from them? Like in terms of their moving on to their next step in their career, like barriers that they had to overcome? 
connections is probably one of the biggest connections isn't one of the most obvious mm-hmm. uh so that mentor thing that you were talking about earlier um having a mentor in the music industry having someone who is connected to the music industry um so that's for, that's for the more advanced you know we do have some more uh less advanced or yeah. less experienced business people in the course as well um and so for a lot of them it's it's uh you know some people haven't really ever worked with a uh a serious budget before like mm-hmm. have you did you you know like what what is your budget for this album release and like <laughs> let's think of let, let's think through like some planning on like what is your strategy you know sure. and so like strategy strategy budgeting and stuff like that is new to a lot of people like they oh maybe we start working on this plan six yeah. months in advance and then we like actually build an audience for this thing right right so people are in different places i guess what i'm saying is people are at very different places in their careers yeah, sure sure but I would say for those that are that are most on the cusp or like ready to break really break out, um, they most often could use um, a couple of good connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, Any tips on that? Uh, connecting with people. Pretty much exactly what I was talking about earlier. Just reaching, reaching out, out, and yeah. if it makes sense, it's got to be a win-win. It yeah. can't be, hey, listen to my thing. You know, like <laughs> that, yeah, you know, everybody gets a million of those. Sure. In the music industry, but. Um, <laughs> But it has to be a win-win. Uh-huh. It has to make sense for the person you're reaching out to for whatever reason. Yeah. And and also persistence is key. I, I think that, uh, you know, and also being, you know, come t- if you come to a take note, you're much more likely to form a relationship with someone who's doing something in the music industry right, right. now. You know, if yeah. you go to South by Southwest, if you go to the Music Biz Conference in Nashville, if you go to E3C and attend the conference stuff, not just the parties. Right. Um, then you're highly likely to get in a conversation with someone who can you're help you. You're taking some sort of action towards that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff I could talk about regarding that, and some specific people that I could um, that I could mention in town who are doing really well with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's no need to go through all these name dropping. But there's big no, stuff no. happening, you know. That's and, great. And you do that by connecting with others. Um. I want to keep, uh, make sure that, um, I'm using your time wisely. So, um, maybe a couple of big, a couple more big questions and then, uh, wrap it up. Cool. Cool. Um, let's hit on relationships again. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about, um, what you think of relationships, what you think of friendships, like. So relationships. Yeah. I don't pretend that I'm actually that good at relationships. Um, I have, I'm really, really focused on on goals mm-hmm. that I set for myself and L- like Soundcore and like business goals or like just life yeah. goals in general, life goal, all kind of goals, yeah. Yeah. whatever all goals, whatever yeah. goals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Soundcore is included. Um, and so, <sighs> mm, boy, relationships are very important. Mm-hmm. I don't think I do a very good job at a lot of them. And that's a major, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a major work. That's a major flaw. Like yeah. that's a really something to work on. However, it's, it's a tough, this is something that I have to mull over a lot because, you know, there are relationships that, uh, that can, you know, as far as goals go, I'm very goal, you know, I'm very motivated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. there are relationships that can pay off for me and those goals. I don't think that the point of any relationship should be so that it pays off. 
Agreed. You yeah. know? <laughs> and so I have a real problem with that yeah. in my own life because I'm like extremely motivated with mm-hmm. by goals and I see people who can help me with those goals, but um, am I am I using you by becoming your friend who can, you know? like? I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I think it's more about like, what's the intention, right? Are right. you just like, you this person's interesting so let's like you know hang out meet up you know let's 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 build a relationship or is this like my intention is to get something out of this yeah yeah and i think that's the biggest distinction yeah so um i tend to i tend to i have a lot of friends i tend to like a lot of people like me and i like and i like a lot of people i just really (laughs) i value people you know yeah um and so it's easy for me to to make friends and sort of easy for me to uh fall you know sort of fall into that and i just i gotta be careful because i spread myself really really thin and don't don't get as deep as i need to with the most important relationships that i have mm-hmm. in my life um and i also tend to like probably make the wrong moves so let's i'll, I'll use somewhat of a specific but vague example of um you know there are some people in my life who um have a lot of influence on uh, where money for Soundcore comes from, or where uh, or whether an album that I release gets heard by a uh, thousand people or one hundred thousand right. people, right? Yeah. Um, so these these this level of person who can who can make or break these things, right? That has power over yes. over my future and over my goals. <laughs> like I'm not intrinsically motivated to necessarily be their friend or work on that relationship in a, Hey, let me invest in you as a person. Um, and I think that's a big mistake of, that's a bit, that's a, that's a bad thing for Mm -hmm. me, but also, but, and and meanwhile, I, I, I tend to keep up a relationship that may not be doing, have anything to do with a hundred thousand listens or, uh, or like my actual, like whatever, but it's, it's like a good friend and maybe it's someone that I respect a lot Mm -hmm. from an artistic standpoint or someone who's bringing me something uh, or enriching me in some sort of philosophic or whatever way. Right. So that's a tough one. I don't know exactly. I don't feel like I have a really good answer for you there. I I think that's a a fantastic answer. It kind of goes along the thing, uh, thinking that, um, I like to say is like, I feel like friendship is a two way street. It's kind of like a give and a give. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even if that is like a more of a network style relationship where it's like, um, you provide value to me. I provide value to you kind of style but same of like two way street, you know, mm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I totally, yeah. it's, w- and there's only, I feel like there's only, s- you only, one person only has capacity for so many two way streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only so much time. So I right? wish, and sometimes I wish that some of these relationships I could just report to, <laughs> you know, like go look at our, go look at our Facebook and you can see what we're doing. Uh-huh. Like we're doing a lot of work, you know, or go, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't work mm-hmm. that way. You know, people are people. Um, yeah. <laughs> What advice would you give to uh, someone pursuing creative work? Whether that's music or not, just creative work in general, do you have any advice you could give to them? Probably the same advice I heard from the, the stage at Take Note last time, which is uh, which is do the work. Do the work. Yeah. It's, uh, yep. You know, one of the things that, that it seems just so obvious and so like, meh. But um, <laughs> if, you, you know, if you're a writer, you're, you can only call yourself a writer if you write. Yeah. You yeah. can only call yourself a podcaster if you set the thing up <laughs> in this room and 
convince people yeah. to come do interviews. Right. Um, you can, you know, you Bright can only, people. yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You're only a painter if you paint. paint. <laughs> so, um, if you're not playing songs and I'm guilty of this, I'm like, this is definitely a, a thing, but mm-hmm. I'm also a business person, I guess, cause I work on that all the time. But, um, you know, do the work. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people are the majority of people at some point in their life are a painter at heart or a musician at heart, right? But they don't actually go to that next level actually doing it. Yeah. And I think that's a barrier. That's a that's a that's a, one of those things that you have to overcome and just step into that fear zone. And once you're there, it's it's fine. Like, yeah, I could be a writer. That's fine. I just have to write, right? Yeah. Doesn't have to be good. I just have to write. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think one of the sort of interesting things that I learned, I don't know why I ha- I'm not sure what made me realize this early on but I'm glad that I did realize this early on is that, you know, uh, people are people. And, uh, you know, if <laughs> I like that, yeah. I mean, if someone, if a person can do some amazing thing that you look up to and you imagine yourself wish you could have done or mm-hmm. wish you could achieve or attain or something like, guess what? You can, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they're just people. That's powerful. That's good stuff. <laughs> so just do the work and you're a person that can be amazing too you know it's like gets into the sort of like motivational sort of uh, that's everywhere right now but i don't disagree mm-hmm. what's uh what's something what's a struggle what's something difficult what's a setback that you've had to go through um in the past or you know currently and what what have you done to like step out of that what have you done to overcome that or um, step into something better from that. A setback. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a pretty big setback to me when my uh, when a band I was in broke up. Co- mm. Band called Prophets and Kings. Yeah. And I I don't feel like I've really fully recovered from that because we were on such a such an intense level of creation and and had some big stuff happen and um uh. Was it just uh, differences of opinion or like just life It was a stuff? lot of things. Right. I mean, I learned a lot. There was there were definitely interrelational uh issues that needed to needed to have been talked about mm-hmm. uh much sooner. Um there were you know, it's the the easy th- there are some things that are easy to blame that are related to uh things that people some, some of them you know, people had no control over uh, some health issues and some stuff sure, that like sure. made it crucial for the thing to sort of end. But, um, but those weren't the real reasons. Like mm-hmm. we probably could have worked through it. Uh, even if not, we didn't have to, you know, there's, they're like, there were like lingering bad feelings, right? Right. Because we were, things tough. weren't talked about. So, um, you know, how did I get, I don't know about how I got over it, exactly um because i haven't put out another album since then um but i have uh worked with you know um worked on some projects with some people put some songs out and stuff and continued to work on music mm-hmm. however um my focus i guess the the a big way that a big reaction was to uh notice that a lot of the failure came from lack of uh, business acumen or specifically music industry connections. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, lining up with Soundcore. I mean, yeah. 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 So like that is where, um, that's, 
I think that's the yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that we we were missing out on in in that pr- in my project. And, and I that's think that's what you're building. This yeah, is that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So this is of course this whole project has has benefited me personally in my own, or hope you know will benefit me in my own music career. Um, but really, I'm hoping to build. You know, we're working on building this structure that uh, benefits a huge number of people here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not just me, but I, I, I see some, I think that there are some key areas that have been identified that are uh, specifically uh, in the music industry and here locally that, that are lacking. And that's some of the stuff that we're trying to fill. Right. Know? Yeah. Um, so the other, other folks are working on different aspects, like more performance opportunities and whatever, you know, we've got more venues opening. We've got people, we've got event promoters out the wazoo working on, working on making money through events. And that's very important, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, uh, you're building all these relationships, you're building these connections so that when, when you are ready to be like, okay, yeah. I want to start something I yeah. start, or I want to <laughs> do, go out my own, do something. You're, you've got it already, right? You, yeah. At there. least, at least some sort of, ne- at least some, some, yeah. some sort of network. Um, I think, it's bad to have to have sort of like let the fan base linger for so long, but you know those fans uh, and they're getting older, so they're you know statistically those people are becoming less and less likely to invest or to like pay for music stuff because they're having kids and they're moving on with their lives and they're not partying or whatever. But those fans are the, the people you know those fans are still out there. So yeah. cr- building that fan base is not as not as difficult for me as it is as um as accessing the infrastructure mm-hmm. is. So, um, yeah, I've definitely been sandbagging on a lot of creative stuff. I, I continue to write and I continue to work on music and I'm, I'm passionate about That's that. That's great. Um, but I'm, I'm let, I, you know, I haven't been putting it out there really. Mm-hmm. Um, because one, the marketing plan's not there. I, I wouldn't be following, you know, I really believe in a lot of the stuff we've built at Soundcore and a lot of the stuff we stay on, stay on stage and a lot of the things we go through. And I see that, I see just how important planning is and how effective it can be and how effective a really strong network can be to like really mm-hmm. popping off, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's how I learned from it. <laughs> that's awesome. A few, uh, rapid, rapid questions, uh, like some fun ones. Like, uh, what do you, what do you sing when you're alone? What songs do you sing when you're alone? You're I in the car, you're at home, you're in the shower. What, what's, what's playing in your head? Is well, it, is it your own stuff or is it, uh, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go with my, I'll tell you my, my karaoke go-tos, um, <laughs> because those are often also the ones in my head. Uh, I go to, uh, Bonnie Raitt. Well, she didn't actually write it, but she's the one who made it famous. Um, I can't make you love me. Yep. I go Classic. to, um, and I do an electro version of that, which is oh, nice. pretty cool or electro R and B or I don't know what style you call it, but electro R and B probably. Um, my other karaoke, my my main karaoke go to really is Guns and Guns and Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. Um, although that's not playing in my head so much, just because it was in high school so much, and so I kind of like it's bat, it's like kind uh-huh. of locked away, you know. But it's there. It's the karaoke yeah. go to. Um, I it really, otherwise, what's playing in my head varies based upon you know I get pretty obsessed with with specific songs when I'm when I hear a new song that I really like yeah and so it'll be something different something that changes uh every couple weeks right now it's this uh this Russian artist um actually actually right now there's two artists one is named one is a rapper named Titus T-I-D-U-S 
Uh, I love. I don't think I've listened to Titus Hunter. Man, his stuff is so cool. There's, I, I recommend his song Angels, or a- I think it's called Angels. The other uh, is this Russian. Um, oh boy. This Russian girl, and her s- her her name is Kedr Levansky, K E D R, and then second name. L I V A N S K I Y, Kedra Levansky, and Kedra 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 Levansky. Yeah. Do you, I, know, I you got know. it? I don't know. Um, and the song specifically. I Russian yet. Yeah, <laughs> the song specifically is called Razrushetelni Krug. The second word is Krug, like drug, <laughs> but with a K. K R U G. What uh, what style of music is this? It's that's like um. Lo-fi electro, probably. Lo-fi, okay, but cool. man, dude, she's so I'll good. She, her, like, her melodies are. So, I mean, you could you could hear her melodies. And one thing I love about a good song, in my opinion, a great song can be done in any style. And I think that that's why, I like, that Bonnie Raitt song, like, mm-hmm. I can do that in an electro R and B. I can do that in country. I can do that in Americana. I can do that in a ballad. Like, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think this girl's songs. You can do that, and you can do a rap song out of it. You can make an R and B song out of it. You can make a jazz. You know, it doesn't <laughs> matter. This melody is so solid. That's awesome. You know, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what uh, What about books? Books. Uh, you're I, a reader. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm an audiobook, audiobook guy books, more, nice. but um, I just sense. actually just got two re- regular books in the mail this morning. One is called. Uh, Ooh, this is going to be interesting for those of you who are listening in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because uh, we'll see how it is. I can't recommend it yet because I haven't started reading it. I just got it today. But it is called, uh, I believe it's called A Tale of Two Festivals or something like that, or Two Festival City or something like that. But if you, um, it's about the history of, if you Google some of these terms, you'll find it. It's about the history of the Riverbend Festival, how it started, and uh, it also com- compares that with the history of the Spoleto Festival, which is, I believe, basically a classical music or a serious music festival. Uh, and by serious music, I mean like a you know, not a serious f- music festival, but uh, as if Riverbend's not a serious music festival, but like s- some sort of like, I don't even know how to describe what quote unquote serious music is, but you know, classical music and yeah, like yeah. forward progressive or like right. intense kind of like music stuff. Um, so it kind of <clears throat> yes, maybe sophisticated or something, yeah. but but it parallels the t- the 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 two festivals and how they changed and how they morphed over time. Like I think they were, I think the idea is that they were started, they were started in a really similar way, and they've okay, and they've morphed into very different things. I'd like to check that out. That sounds yeah, that sounds like a good read. I can't well, remember. Sorry, I'm, I messed the name up on it. I don't. I'm maybe yeah, it's we not can add it to the show notes. It's yeah, 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 yeah. What was the second one? Uh, the other up. book is called Busker, and it was uh, it's about street Busker. performance. Busker, okay, cool. But it's by a friend of mine, so it's actually by an ex-girlfriend of a friend who I recently met in Montreal. And they're French, you know, they're French. Um, and uh, I was ju- I was at this Urban Leaders conference, and and he was like, oh yeah, my girl, my ex-girlfriend wrote this book called Busker. So I, I have no idea really, other than it's about the streets of Paris and b- playing music. So it should be interesting. Cool. The most recent uh, book book I listened to was a, re- a fiction book. Um, which is rare for me, but I'm, I want to get more into it, uh, into fiction, and it is Cloud Atlas, which is fairly well known. Nice. And that was because my friend Tia Caps won't stop talking about that book. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll read it so that I finally it's, know what the hell she's talking it's about. It's on my to-read list. I recommend yeah. it. Solid. 
Um, otherwise, I listen to a lot of business leadership books. Any favorites? Oh, man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> top three? I really like top three. I mean, you know, the initial ones, like when I was literally in seventh grade, my grandfather made me read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or whatever, nice. you know? So that's not really one of my top ones, but um, but uh, I've been reading these forever, These mm-hmm. kind of this kind of stuff. Um, so probably Think and Grow Rich is a really good one. That's a great one. Probably... Um, Probably, by, and that's what Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill. Napoleon yeah. Hill. Uh, Dale Carnegie's "Making Friends and Influencing mm-hmm. People." These were those two books I read when I was like in like tenth or eleventh grade. Yeah. In high school, um, revisited "Think and Grow Rich" since then, um, but all those concepts are pretty ingrained into me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I reading would, one similar uh, recently. It's called uh, "The Magic of Thinking Big." Oh, I love that book. Yeah. So along those lines, "The Magic of Thinking Big." Uh, there is a, um, I'll, I'll talk about two more books briefly. One is um, Thinking Fast and Slow. I haven't read that. I need to read that. It's kind of tough to get through mm-hmm. because it's pretty heady, but like, dude, that book will blow. That is some, <laughs> there is some intense, and that's this is like economics kind of stuff, yeah, but like, yeah. I like the big data stuff and I like the major, you know, it's fun to put people into boxes based upon major trends. And, and I think it's sometimes valuable, especially when you're running a business. But, uh, but man, to understand how, uh, my own mind often works on, you know, Oh gosh, it's depressing (laughs) and it's crazy. And it's just, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. The, 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 what's it called? The thinking fast and slow. Yeah. And a a bunch of books have like taken that research and made it more accessible by like writing less, more, less complicated, but that's the like original, like that research, that That behavioral, behavioral economics, I think is what it's called. I think that's what it's called. Um, those are the guys. Uh, and then the other one is, uh, oh man, well, I've kind of lost it, but we've just been talking, you know. Yeah, that's plenty. That's, that's that'll fill list. out some sort of yeah. audible list for you, <laughs> like automatically on all the business books. Do you do you listen to podcasts? I do. Uh, yeah, not that much. I listen to, I do listen to Heatherly Holt, Heather's uh, uh, podcast, uh, Open, Mic, Open Mic Spotlight. That's done here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Plug for Heather Holt. Heather Lee. I, I think she goes by. To it. I, Check I it out. I met her either. I need to. I should. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She. So you know, it's open mic spotlight. So th- I think the initial idea that has that has maybe morphed a little bit is you know showcasing people who who uh, are doing open mics in Chattanooga, which is really really cool. But she's definitely gotten into interviewing some like more major acts nice. and some nationally touring acts and stuff like that. And she does like they do live performance on on her podcast oh, and she awesome. interviews them. It's pretty sweet. Um, I was an interviewee on the podcast. So you nice, can check out my, nice. some of my stuff if you want to hear it um shameless plug yeah yeah <laughs> uh open mic spotlight check it out uh you know i do listen to some i, I listen to freakonomics i mm-hmm. listen to i listen to tim ferris sometimes i listen to i'm learning portuguese so i pretty regular regularly listen to this portuguese uh language podcast uh on that what's your what's your learning process like for portuguese portuguese yeah um music too like mm. do, you, do you do you think have a strategy or you just kind of like pick it up and go it depends it depends yeah language wise are you using like duolingo yeah i'm using duolingo and i'm about to beat it like i'm about to have the whole like i've got i've completed so i've never learned another language this is my first time and so i never learned it fluently i've been around other languages i've picked up words and i could i've been able to i've traveled all around the world so i can get around but um 
I've been using Duolingo for Portuguese. I've also been listening to a podcast and I finished Duolingo. I've been doing it for maybe a year and a half, almost two years maybe mm-hmm. now probably, but really seriously for about a year. Nice. And I finished, you know, all of the lessons and now my goal is to turn all the lessons gold for those of you that know how Duolingo <laughs> works. I did, I've, I haven't gone all the way, but I've been doing that with Italian. Cool. Yeah. It's probably pretty similar to Portuguese. I feel like there's some similar yeah. sounds there. Um, My thing is like, um, I'm really good at reading it now, but yeah. like speaking it, like to, especially to a native is, right. is uh, really tough. Yeah. It's still tough. Yeah. That's yeah. how I am. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to start going to that Chattanooga language school mm-hmm. and uh, just getting into some conversations. I, I try to convince a few different Portuguese speakers here locally to just go have coffee with me and stuff, but it kind of turns, uh, I think I'm so bad at it and they're not necessarily like language teachers that it's kind of like weird, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, <laughs> so just I find, awkward. Yeah, yeah, I probably need to get a little more formal with it rather than just you cursed out their mother. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I want to learn the cur- I want to learn the slang stuff. I don't know the slang stuff. That's where I'm missing. I mean, I think in Brazil, you know, I want to go to Brazil. I love bossa nova music, and that's why I'm learning Portuguese. Um, I really want to be able to, you know, and there's so much slang mm-hmm. in that, and so much. Uh, there's so much. Oh, just it's just like so much attitude, yeah. you know. And I want to style, man, style. Yeah, yeah. the style is the important part. Yeah. The the grammar and stuff I mm-hmm. think is less important. But I'm learning the grammar really well, not the style. <laughs> so I need to get. How to do you style. flirt in Portuguese? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I need to learn. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, to to wrap things up, I appreciate you coming on. You Thank know, you. Thanks um, for having me. It's been a blast. Uh, last last couple of things is like. I'd like to leave um, people listening with a challenge. So can you give them a challenge if you can think one off the top of your head? People who are pursuing creativity in some form of capacity. And if not a challenge uh, and or uh, action question that they can ask themselves to up their game. How can I improve my creativity? Like, or what's something that I can take away immediately from this this, um, podcast? I think something that's that can be really helpful, especially if you're if you're struggling to be to be creative, is uh, maybe a writing prompt or even an exercise in talking. Or uh, my my good friend, I'm I'm friends with some rappers, and one of them one of them is named Socro, and he's uh, that stands for Southern Croat. And he's, I've uh, listened to Socro. Yeah, he's yeah. a purebred Croat balling in the south. And uh, <laughs> just for just FYI, um, I am his DJ, and we work a lot together. So that like, but he's one of my, he's definitely one of my big influences, influencers, influencees. Both goes both ways, two way street. Um, and he he's uh, his I believe his first language is Croatian, and so and he's really really creative, and he gets a lot of English he gets some English stuff kind of wrong and he doesn't really care because he's a rapper and it's like, that's, it's like top of mind. Like, uh-huh. you know, you just go with it. And so one of the words he uses that has become started meaning something else is, um, is a verb, um, to filibust, uh, filibust. To, to filibust. Nice. And that basically means to bullshit or to like, um, make something up on the fly. That sounds uh-huh. like it's like, it's, like it's real, right? And so I think that like filibusting is is kind of a good exercise. I also heard a good friend of mine, Genesis, the great kid, do throw this writing prompt out to a leadership course he was teaching once, um, and it was uh, write a poem, you know, based upon the experience of. Uh, it was this class that had been. 
some context. It was a class that had been walking for a lot of the day. It was like 2 p.m. They had been walking all over town. They'd been doing a lot of stuff. And he said, they were sitting down and they were doing this like writing exercise. And he was like, write a poem from the perspective of your shoes today. Like the, how did your shoes feel today? And so it's like, you're not, you're not just writing. A, so I, I feel like this, this idea, you can, you know, you can filibust this, you can write it, you can think about it, you can throw this prompt out to a friend in conversation or whatever, but um, it can often be really fun and, and also uh, challenging and also really interesting to um, take something that's personal that you've been with, um, that is yours, that may be inanimate um, and that you've been using and look at the day that you've had from the experience of that thing. Like how was that thing's day? You know, um, that can be a really fun, that's, fun that's thing. That's so fun. That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that's specifically probably for anyone who's interested in writing something or whatever, but I think the filibusting it or rapping about it or talking about it or, um, uh, or even just thinking, uh, you know, thinking about s- not necessarily telling one of the traps I used to get into when I was writing songs as a young person is like writing songs, uh, you know, this is from the perspective of some guy who, you know, uh, in fact, I think Randy Steele threw this out on this, on the stage the other day, a take note. He was like, I wrote a song and or maybe this was when we were having beers afterwards. He he wrote a song and and the father there was like a father or a mother and a son and the the son died and the mother like threw him in the river or, or something. Yeah. And it's like you know what the a mother would never throw a son in a river like no matter how <laughs> bad no matter what the situation was. Basically, like sure they're horrific stories or something, but like no, she's like gonna like bury it, have mm-hmm. some sort of proper like thing like that's not realistic so writing these songs or or stories or ideas or whatever from their perspective of someone you actually know nothing about is kind of pointless and not and doesn't actually reverb like doesn't actually like yeah so make it related to your own experiences yeah yeah Yeah. so it can be fun to like take your own day and just write it from the perspective of something that was actually like you were wearing or something that was part of that day that was a fly on the wall or that's really mind that's really mind opening Mm -hmm. i love that any, uh, it's related to listening. I think listening. that's kind of where, where I was sort of getting to is like listening is it's just an improv mm-hmm. thing. Take an improv class. I really recommend them, but like yeah. listening. It's on important. my list to, to do it. Uh, it's one of those things that's kind of like terrifying, you know? Yeah. Right before, but I think I'd, I think I'd have a blast doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all just improv. Uh, yeah. Life is improv. Yeah. I mean, you take in what's happening and then you respond to it. And sometimes that's if you're good. lucky, you get to make a lot of stuff, but in order to be effective, you need to like respond to what's happening mm. and That's what good. people are saying. Um, from everything that we talked about, do you have any uh, action questions? Action question? Yeah, like a question to ask themselves, like a self-reflection question. I guess something that's that's good to get a gut check on is why am I doing what I'm doing right now? I think one of the best times to ask that question is when you're on like Facebook wasting time. <laughs> why am I doing this? It's because you're addicted is yeah. why. And it's not really adding much to your life, but why are you doing what you're doing right now? If you're working a job, if you're writing a thing, if you're, um, this is, this is something that I think I was maybe trying to get at earlier when you're with someone else in any context, conversation or whatever. Um, and this, ha- this is related to listening, but it's also related to communicating. It can often be really, really helpful to think, to, before you communicate something, before you say something, to ask yourself, why am I really, especially if it's a big important thing that you that you need to say, that you feel the need to say, yeah. um, it might be a good idea to 
take a second and maybe write it in a letter first and, and say, what, you know, why am I doing, why am I communicating this? Mm -hmm. Am I communicating this to give the other person a sense of relief, uh, to give them some sort of knowledge that's going to help them in their life? Am I communicating this out of uh, selfishness because I need to get this off my chest and it'll in fact hurt the other person? Am I communicating, you know, why, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Um, can help you get to that sort of meditative state of focus and um, understand, you know, basically can help you correct course so that the outcomes that you're creating are in everyone's best interest, Mm -hmm. including your own um, and including all those around you for more sort of winning situations and less losing situations. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, I filibusted that. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, Stratton, thank you so much for being on here. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Yeah, it's been a blast. Um, some great conversations, but yeah, thank you. You want to plug anything at the end here? Uh, check out our local music industry directory at soundcord.org. If you're in some other city that is trying to build their music economy, we are licensing some of our programs and I will sell them to you. Uh, we're a nonprofit, so it's not really that like salesy, but yeah, yeah. seriously, hit me up because we need some, uh, you know, we can we can grow our business (laughs) (laughs) plug hey hey thank you for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed my conversation with stratton uh i i sure did uh apologies for any uh mic uh, problems that may have occurred during um, there was a lot of it there was a ton of editing editing that I had to do for this one mostly because my mixer uh, eventually died on me and I've had to get a new one but um, which, I'll, which I'll talk about later but uh, I'm loving the new one but uh, apologies for any of weird sound things or weird cutting um, if you want to support the Renaissance, go to patreon.com slash life mastery. There you will find different tiers starting at enthusiast level of, of literally just $3 a month or to be featured on the, the, the podcast and on the blog. Um, and it goes on from there to subscribe to an exclusive podcast entitled Life Mastery about how to master what you are pursuing. And it's a community-based podcast. So at the right tier, you can actually be on the podcast, which is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. One quick thing, and this is for people who actually listen to the entire episode. So this is an exclusive here. I'll talk about it next episode. But uh, the first 30 people that subscribe to the apprenticeship level, uh, which is $15 a month on Patreon, you will get two hours free of life mastery coaching from me and uh it's it's a high quality value um i'm valuing your time you're valuing my, my valuing my time and effort that it takes to do two hours of for 30 different people of uh life mastery coaching and we can talk about anything you want we can talk about business we can talk about life um i'm definitely not the expert of all experts but i'm here to help you and that is what matters so go to patreon.com life mastery one last thing if you don't mind go to itunes and i'll i'll leave a link in the show notes and give us give us a five-star review it goes a long way in helping us be uncovered with the 
the myriad of podcasts out there. So go to pay, go to uh, iTunes and Patreon, but go to iTunes and give us a five star review. Let us know what your uh, what your favorite band is right now. To forget forget reviews. Just what is your favorite band right now? Leave us a five star or a four or a three, but no twos or ones. Nobody likes those. Unless you really don't like me. <laughs> Where you lay? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you for listening. Uh, this is Josh Wagner signing out. Thank you. I appreciate you for your listen. I appreciate. This is Josh Wagner signing out. Thank you. I appreciate you listening. Until next time, remember, keep pursuing. Table beat of the week.